Let's bow our heads for a time of prayer. Our Lord, we we bow before you today asking for your wisdom. We are, are very aware, Lord, of the fact that we live in a world that's filled with knowledge and filled with facts and filled with information. Uh, Lord, uh, it's probably uh, an information explosion, I guess. But, but all that information that, that we hear, Lord, we fear has not made us wise. And we desire to be wise. And so we pray that by your word and your spirit, by your grace, that you would make us wise and give us ears to hear and hearts and hands to obey. It is in Jesus' name that we pray these things. Amen. Well, this morning we're going to talk about wisdom and really two kinds of wisdom. And, you know, the, the Bible is very concerned about this topic. I mean, there's whole sections of the scriptures that are referred to as wisdom literature. And the book of Proverbs that we've been reading through in the Old Testament is, is a book that is, is part of that. And it addresses the importance of wisdom. And as we've seen, as we've talked through the book of Proverbs, that... Um, that it really compares the lifestyle of the wise person with that of the fool and even talks about the un- the outcome. So kids, let me just tell you this. You know, there are some people in life that can learn from other people's mistakes and then there are some people it seems like they're the ones that have to make all the mistakes. But let me give you a word of encouragement. Kids, you don't have to make those mistakes yourself. You can read the book of Proverbs and it'll tell you what'll happen if you go down a certain path. So I encourage you kids to listen to your parents as they teach you God's word and, and share it. Um, anyway, it's, it's, it's really good. And then we read in the New Testament that if we don't have wisdom, that we are to ask God for it. So wisdom is very dear to God and it's an essential for Christians to possess it because as the book of Proverbs does say in chapter 9 verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. As we are in all of God, as we, as we fear Him, we gain wisdom. But of course, when I refer to wisdom, I'm speaking of heavenly wisdom. But there's another kind of wisdom that surrounds us in our daily lives. It's a wisdom that is earthly. It comes from the devil and which we are constantly being bombarded with in our lives. And I just say that because I think any time we think of the devil, we think, okay, this is going to be really bad, which it is. But oftentimes we don't see the wickedness and the evilness of the wisdom of the world around us. As a matter of fact, sometimes it looks like it makes a lot of sense. And so we might be deceived and not understand what truly is earthly wisdom. And, and if we're not careful to walk by faith and in the fear of the Lord, we may forsake our pursuit of this heavenly wisdom and give in to the hellish wisdom of this world, much like the Christians that James writes to in this letter. So for, for James, he poses a question that was really important for his readers today, but also for us as well. And we see it at the beginning of verse 13. Who is wise in understanding among you. In other words, who is it who is here that is living by heavenly wisdom? And if you don't remember anything else, remember this that genuine faith always results in genuine wisdom in daily living. As we walk by faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, 
We are going to walk by wisdom in our daily lives. It's only in that way that we can. So how do you know if you're wise or not? How do you know if there is really real wisdom, true wisdom stored up in your heart? I mean, you think about the context of what we're talking about. We're not going to make a big deal about this, but we do need to understand when we got to the end of James 3, he said, look, you know that uh, if you look at the source, you know what you're going to get. If you look at the river and you know it's a salt river, guess what? You're going to get salt water out of it. If you look at the fruit of the tree, you're going to know what kind of tree. Or you look at the kind of tree it is, you're going to know what kind of fruit that you get. It. And he said it's the same way with the heart. If you look at the heart, you're going to know what kind of words come out of that. And, and I would say as well, you're also going to know what kind of wisdom that person is living according. Whether it is a heavenly wisdom or whether it is an earthly wisdom. And so that's what James asks us in this passage today. And he gives us an answer as to what wisdom is. But he doesn't do it you know, so simply as we might desire. He doesn't just write out a definition of wisdom. He wants us really to grasp here. He wants us to, to see uh, really a picture that he's painting of what wisdom is. And so he talks about two kinds of wisdom. And he talks about the path of hellish wisdom and the path of heavenly wisdom. And I know that's sort of an odd way to put it maybe, but it's two H's, so maybe you'll remember, right? A hellish wisdom and a heavenly wisdom. So before we look at these two types of wisdom, I think we need to think about wisdom just a moment. You know, sometimes when we think of wisdom, we might think of a B.C. cartoon. You remember the the B.C. cartoons that they used to have? I used to love that cartoon. And, you know, sometimes you'd have one character who would uh, feel like he needed wisdom. So what would he do? He would trek across this long desert and oftentimes climb up on this mountain or this hill. And he would find this guru sitting maybe under a tree. And he would ask him, you know, the questions of life and the guru would give him these answers. And I think when we think of wisdom in that sense, we almost always exclusively think of it in terms of an intellectual pursuit. You know, but James tells us in verse 13, he said, Who is wise and understanding among you by his good conduct? Let him show his works in the meekness of wisdom. So wisdom is much more than just a mere intellectual uh, pursuit or pontificating or pondering about the, the secrets of life. True wisdom expresses itself in one's lifestyle. And if we are not living such, if we are not doing so, then we do not have true wisdom. Now, why such an emphasis on conduct? Well, James has been doing that throughout his letter, but he does so because when someone comes to faith in Jesus Christ, his life is changed radically from the inside out. And that change brought about by the Holy Spirit produces a life of holiness that cannot help but affect the course and the conduct of one's life. That's what we were talking about in the communicants class this morning. We, I was talking to the young people about how to write a testimony. And I said, as you stand before the elders of this church, they don't want to just know how you came to faith in Jesus Christ. They don't want to know if you prayed a prayer or you know things like that. I mean, they do care about those things, about how you came to faith in Jesus Christ. But they want to know that that faith is real now. They want to see the evidence of that faith now. And that's what we see is the way of wisdom, that it demonstrates that faith now. And so, 
those who have received the gift of heavenly wisdom cannot help but demonstrate that they possess such a wisdom by the way that they live. And so James uh, tells his readers to demonstrate it with their words and their deeds. So the characteristic of wisdom can be demonstrated to others. And so with that being the case, we can look at our own lives and we can say, do I see the work of the Holy Spirit in my heart that produces such wisdom? And so all of us, in one sense, get to lay down on the examination table at the doctor's office. And, and the spiritual physician can take the words that James writes here and he can test our words and our actions and our attitudes of our lives to see whether we possess that true wisdom or not. Knowing that genuine faith will always result in genuine wisdom in daily life. So first of all, I want to talk about what wisdom is not. I want to talk about this hellish wisdom in verses 14 through 16. The first type of wisdom, and I, I do the air quotes thing because it's not truly wisdom. It's uh, not in the sense that, that God uses it. It's really a earthly, it's an unspiritual, it's of the devil, you know, kind of wisdom. Uh, but, you know, as we look at that, what does that kind of wisdom look like? Well, look at verse 14. He says, but if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition, some of your translations, rather than bitter jealousy, may say envy, uh, and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. So the first characteristic is bitter jealousy. And this is the desire to have the same sort of thing that someone else has. Now, when I say that, I don't mean it's the same thing like we want their possessions or we want their money. You know, it, it might be those kind of things. But it's really, it's selfish. It's a, a manifestation, and it manifests itself in so many different ways in, in our lives. You know, for example, have you ever been at a gathering and you're, you're telling a story about something that happened in your life? And so you go on and you finish the story and no sooner do you get done and somebody says, oh, that's nothing. You ought to hear what happened to me. And then they just sort of like steal your thunder. You almost feel like you should say, uh, okay, I'm sorry for wasting your time. I, I shouldn't have said that, I guess. You know, but their, their whole focus is upon themselves. And they want to draw everybody to think about them. And unfortunately, you know, you don't have to read very far in the scriptures before you begin to encounter that kind of jealousy. I mean, even in the opening pages of Genesis, you see Cain and Abel. And Cain is upset because God is pleased with Abel's sacrifice. And God says, well, Abel, or Cain, if you had not done what you were supposed to do, if you had not given uh, the right sacrifice, would I not be pleased with you as well? Or what about Saul, King Saul and David? You know, Saul was a man who was not obeying the Lord, and David was a man after God's own heart. And you see that jealousy that Saul has, where he even takes his spear, kids. Could you imagine this? David's playing the harp to try to help the king and he picks up his spear and he throws it at him and it just goes and just about pins David to the wall. But David moves just in time. But you see that jealousy. And even in the New Testament we see that kind of jealousy. As a matter of fact, Paul has to write in 1 Corinthians 12 about the body of Christ. 
because the Corinthians were sort of jockeying for position about saying, well, look at me. I have the gift of tongues or I have wisdom or I, you know, and they were taught, bragging about all these different abilities that they had. And Paul's like, do you not understand that God has created you to be a body and that it's, uh, there's a necessity of having all the different parts and even the weakest parts, the ones that are not like in your face and up front, those are oftentimes the most important parts because there was so much jealousy. Well, let me ask us this. How do we respond when somebody else gets rewarded for their efforts but our efforts go unnoticed? Is there a sense of jealousy? Do we have a sense of getting upset? What about you kids? Let's say your brother or sister goes to school or maybe they go to a birthday party and they come home with an award or with a treat bag. Do you say, wow, I am so happy that my brother and sister got this reward? Or what do you say to your parents? That's not fair. Why didn't I get one too, right? Because oftentimes our hearts are jealous and it's hard for us to rejoice. But can we rejoice with others when they are exalted above us? Well, closely related with that idea of jealousy is also selfish ambition. Now, I think we think of the term of ambition as a good thing. We oftentimes think when we think of ambition is it's someone who's a go-getter. You know, they're a leader. They're someone who, who gets things done. But the term that's translated ambition that James uses here and that's used in other places in the Bible is not really a positive term. Uh, rather, it refers to a strong desire to put ourselves and our agenda and what we think is right in front of what everybody else thinks. is very much a self-centered aspect to it. And so the translation is not ambition, but it's funny, we sometimes think ambition is so good, we actually have to put the clarifier on here, selfish ambition. But I would suggest that rarely do we see ambition as being anything but selfish. You know, because even oftentimes in our desire for, to see things go forward and for things to get done, oftentimes mixed within that is impure motives of our hearts and the sin that we wrestle with. So it may look noble and the intentions of a person's heart may be good as they are ambitious, but usually for a go-getter to get things done, he must get others to bend their wills to his will so that the goal can be accomplished. And, and I just think that's a real danger because in our church today, I think there's a real leadership uh, vacuum. And, and I think it's true not only in the church, but in our culture. And, you know, there's just a lack of leadership all around us, it seems like. But I have watched church after church after church who men would be raised up who have ambition. Men who are leaders. Men who could get it done. And I've watched churches turn around and just give their entire allegiance to such men. And oftentimes, those churches have been led astray. Because they've been wrapped around more of a personality than they have a man of God who has been led by heavenly wisdom. And I, I want us to be careful as a congregation. I know we're not at that point where we're, we're looking for God to raise up leaders. I mean, we're praying about that, but we're not quite at that point yet. But as we do, I want you to carefully consider not what a person can get done in the church or what their ambition is, but I want you to look to see if they are men who are wise. Men who are wise according 
to God's standards. But it's not just in the church. What about in the homes? It could be husbands. Anyone who has oversight over someone else could wrestle with this struggle of ambition. It could be husbands, parents, managers, young people. Maybe you serve on the student council at school. And we have to be careful not to impose our agenda on those that we are responsible for and call that oversight. Brothers and sisters, you know, I think it's a good question to ask, for us to ask. How do you respond when your plans are frustrated by God or by other people? You know, you, you look back to James chapter 1 and he talks about trials in our lives. And James says, look, I just want to tell you, God puts trials in, his life, in your life, but he does so because he wants to help you mature and to become like Jesus Christ. And he has to tell us that because we can sort of fight against the trials that God brings into our lives. And we can become angry, you know, as the Lord does bring in those trials. And sometimes we can even get upset with the people that the Lord uses as instruments to help us mature. But James, you know, knowing this, says to us in chapter 1, verse 5, as we're going through the midst of these trials, he goes, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask God, who gives generously to all without reproach, and it will be given to him. So he knows that as we go through those trials, we need his wisdom. So what is the outcome of a, a hellish kind of wisdom. Well, look at verse 16. He says, For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. Now, that word uh, disorder means the disruption of the peace of the community through disputes. Kids, what that means is that there's fights among you and that just causes all kinds of trouble in the church that you're in. And, and sometimes that kind of disorder has actually split churches, it's split families, it's destroyed friendships, and any other kind of relationships that, that you can think about. So if for no other reason than the sheer outcome of hellish wisdom, you would think that we should be motivated enough to, to not have this kind of wisdom. But oftentimes we, even as Christians, are tempted to want to have our own desires met and to have our own agendas accomplished. I know one of the things that I've been praying for Kirk of the Plains even before we were Kirk of the Plains even when we were back and we were a Bible study, I've been praying that the Lord would guard us as a church against strong personalities Okay, because one of the things I was taught in seminary is whenever you plant a church, what's going to happen is it's going to attract everybody that's dissatisfied with their church and they're going to come to your church and try to make you over in their image. And you can run into some really strong personalities that can cause some really fights and dissension. And so I've been praying, Lord, protect us from that. But I've come to realize that the problem is not the personalities, it's the wisdom that is guiding us. You know, and it might be that even those that would call themselves believers might be led more by a hellish type of wisdom. And I have to say this, even as I've prayed this prayer, sometimes I've found out that the Lord has to protect you from the, your preacher, from your pastor. You know, as I see the motives of my own heart and realize that sometimes I'm holding on too tightly with expectations on my own part, and I have to 
to uh, say, Lord, you are the head of the church. I am not the head of Kirk of the Plains. So anyway, we see that hellish kind of wisdom. But we also see a heavenly kind of wisdom as well in verses 17 and 18. And he, he talks about this wisdom as wisdom that comes from heaven or from above. He goes, but the wisdom from above. And then James gives seven characteristics. Unless you think we're going to be here all afternoon, we're going to move through these really quickly, okay? But I want you to, to hear what he has to say as well. He said the first characteristic is, is this wisdom is pure, okay? One commentator says that James mentions purity first because any wisdom that finds its origin in God must be pure because God himself is pure. And we see that in 1 John chapter 3, verse 3. It talks about how God is, is pure. But this commentator also compared purity with light that dispels the darkness and illuminates everything, but it's not influenced by anything. And heavenly wisdom is like that. It's like that light. Heavenly wisdom enters this sinful world, but it's not affected by it. It, it is interesting to see how the light affects the darkness, and yet it's not affected at all. But this light is pure, like uh, pure, like a glass of pure water, as opposed to water you might get out of the restroom or, or something like that. Um, so then James goes on after this to talk about six characteristics that he puts under three headings. Under the attitude of a wise person, the actions of a wise person, and the judgments of a wise person. So what are the attitudes of someone who exhibits wisdom? Well, first of all, we see that they are peaceable and gentle. The peace of God so dominates the thinking of a wise person that rather than promoting dissension and disorder, he quiets confusion. Do you know people like that? That maybe that, that God has given them such wisdom that they can walk into a situation where there's turmoil, there's people at each other's throats, and they come in and they're just sort of that calming effect upon them. And you see uh, just sort of the, the, the work of the Holy Spirit through this person and through their wisdom just sort of address those things. I think of a story of a young man. This is a, an old, old, old story. Uh, it's a young preacher. He was coming home after church one Sunday night. And this tells you how old this story was. He got on the streetcar to come home. And as he was on the streetcar, he had his Bible tucked under his arm, of course. And uh, there was a group of pretty rough characters on the streetcar. And they started giving him a rough time about being religious and about his Bible. And so they were sort of hackling him and insulting him and sneering at him. And he got ready to get off the streetcar at his, at his uh, stop. And one of the... Um, one of the gang members sort of laughingly said, Mister, how far is it to heaven? And the young preacher just sort of quietly, with composure, uh, he said, it's only one step away, and are you willing to take that step? And then he walked away. Well, the, the story goes on to talk about how just the response of that preacher and the mannerisms of his gentleness and his peaceableness, that the Lord used that later on to bring that tormentor to faith in Jesus Christ. And so we see the attitude of the wise is peaceable, but also open to reason as well, or uh, gentle. Uh, he quietly gathers all the facts before giving his opinion. 
He refrains from placing himself first and always considers others better than himself. As we see Paul talking about in Philippians 2, 3 and Philippians 4, 5, he's a gentle person who puts others above himself. And then finally, the attitude of the wise person is characterized by the fact that he's open to reason. Some of your translations may say submissive there, that it's, it's submissive. It means someone who is open to suggestions, always ready to listen to the opinions of others and willing to accept a correction himself if need be. Um, the best way I can think to describe that, there was a, an older gentleman who was walking alongside with a younger gentleman and they were getting ready to go into a meeting and the older gentleman, with all of his wisdom, looked over at the young man and he said this, he goes, son, he goes, there's a difference between going into a meeting where you know your mind and going into a meeting where your mind is already made up. And it's like that with wisdom. You know, we can know what we believe, but there's a sense of uh, humility. There is a sense of teachability with someone who is wise. That they can be corrected. They can be, they can, uh, they realize that they may not know it all and that someone may uh, show them more from God's word that they could understand. Now, as far as the actions of wisdom, what does that look like? Well, James goes on and says, it's full of mercy and wisdom. Um, it's not only full of mercy, but also good fruits as well. Now, think about that. Full of mercy. To be merciful to someone is to treat them in a way uh, that uh, it does, is, does not treat others as they should be treated. You know, maybe somebody deserves something but we don't treat them in the way that their actions or their words uh, desire or that they um, should warrant. So he tempers, a wise man tempers justice with mercy. Now, how often do we get frustrated with someone or even angry with someone? It could be a friend. It could be a co-worker. It could be your kids. It could be somebody here in the church. We're not going to mention any names. But you get upset or you get angry with them and you really feel justified for your anger I know it's hard to believe, but we do. We feel justified for our anger. Why? Because of the way that person acted. Because that, is, in a sense, is justice. They acted this way, and so therefore I am allowed to act that way. But that's not the way of wisdom. Wisdom doesn't do so. And the greatest example I can think of is our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who had every right to come and destroy us uh, here upon this earth. I mean, I think about God uh, coming to the earth in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5. We read, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And God came and destroyed the earth with a flood. He wiped it all out. He started all over. When Jesus Christ came to earth in New Testament times, how was the world different in the New Testament from what we read in Genesis 6-5? It wasn't. It was exactly the same. And so our Lord and our Savior could have come at our judge at that point in time and He could have wiped us out. But He chose not to treat us as we deserve. Instead, He showed His mercy by, by coming 
and, and making a people anew who would act, have access to the Father and would live under all the blessings of living in the presence of God. And so, you know, think back to maybe that person who's difficult in your life, that person that you get angry with or frustrated with, and you feel very justified to do so. And the reality is you are justified to do so. But the way of wisdom doesn't always treat others the way that they deserve, but oftentimes is full of mercy. And what would that look like if we showed mercy to such person? Well, this person not only reacts uh, wisely to those who have done them wrong, but even to those that are in need and suffering. You know, you may know of people as well who they are uh, very needy people and they're struggling and they need help. But you look at their life and you think, you know, this is their own fault. If they didn't do thus and such, if they weren't living this way, if they didn't spend all their money, they wouldn't be in a need. And it could be easy for us just to write these people off once again because we know that we're warranted in those actions. But when we're full of mercy, it's not so easy that oftentimes Christ calls us to, to meet those needs even in the uh, lives of people whose lives are not very clean. Anyway, finally then uh, the judgment of a wise person. A wise person possesses uh, discerning judgment because he's both impartial and insincere. A wise person does not take sides in a dispute but serves as an arbitrator. He, he listens carefully and objectively in the midst of arguments and if he has to render a judgment, he does so without any sense of partiality. Uh, he avoids favoritism. Such a person also is not hypocritical, but sincere uh, in, in the way that they treat others. And the, what's the result of a person who's wise? Well, unlike uh, the person who we read about in verse 16 that is jealous and has selfish ambition and their lifestyle results in disorder and dissension amongst others, we see in verse 18 that the result of a wise life is a harvest of righteousness that is sown in peace by those who make peace. That instead of disorder and dissension, that a wise person brings about peace and righteousness. So as we come today, I think it's good for us to look at our own hearts as we're on this examining table and just say, which kind of wisdom are we relying upon to guide us in our life? Are you sowing seeds that will produce a harvest of disorder or of peace? You know, it was said of uh, Thomas Beecher, he discovered that the clock in his church didn't work. Sometimes it would be really slow and sometimes it would be really fast. And so uh, I don't know if he felt sorry for the clock or what, but he put a big old sign above the clock with great big letters. And, he, and this is what the sign says. It says, don't blame my hands. The trouble lies deeper inside. You know? And are we not like that? Are we not like that? That that's where the trouble lies within us. It is deeper inside in the inner recesses of our being. And only Christ can cure this condition. Our problem is not the need for more intellectual knowledge or to try to work harder to, to try to, to uh, get knowledge from somewhere else. But what we need is the one who is the personification of wisdom. And that is the Lord Jesus Christ. 
You know, as we read the book of Proverbs, kids, you know, you look at that and you think, wow, these are really neat things that we're reading, but what would that look like in a person's life? The answer is, look at the life of the Lord Jesus Christ, and you're going to see what that wisdom looks like lived out in his life. But Jesus not only is our example, but he is our Savior, and he is the one who uh, we are to come to, the one who can change our hearts and give us hearts of heavenly wisdom that will be shown through our lives. Amen? So if you are here today and you look at your life and you go, wow, the wisdom that I see in my life, it's very convicting. It's very convicting. I understand that. But just understand that you have a Savior and turn to Him and look to Him and cry out to Him and pray and ask Him and He can change your heart to give you that heavenly wisdom. Let's bow our heads for a time of meditation this morning. Lord, we thank you so much that your word is so clear. And I just pray, God, that you would make us a wise church. God, that we would, could see the evidences and that we would seek to pursue the wisdom that you give from above. We pray, Lord, for a continued sense of, of peace. And Lord, I know that we do have many strong personalities, including the one praying right now. But we thank you, Lord for the grace and the mercy that you have shown to us and how you have tempered those things and you have uh, used those personalities to bring glory to your name. We pray that you would continue to do so and that, God, it would bear witness to who you are and, Father, that you would bring many people to yourself through your church. We thank you and pray this in your name. Amen.